First and foremost, I want to welcome all those that are watching online. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for taking the time to do so. We know that you could have chosen so many other platforms, so many other churches, but I'm glad that somebody somewhere is watching this on the 24th of April in 2022, but they could be watching in 2052 in January. And I hope that this message finds you well and it speaks to you in the same magnitude that it spoke to me. And I welcome you all, church. Thank you for being home today. We're home this morning, and I'm, I'm blessed that we're able to be together, and we're going to be diving into what the Lord has for us today. Amen. And amen. I, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that we get to pause and focus on you right now. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that every mind that is troubled right now, every mind that is anxious right now, every heart that is confused, every, every body that is aching, any joint that is hurting, any mindsets that are perverse, in Jesus' mighty name, submit to the authority of Christ. And together today, Lord, will you penetrate our hearts Bring us to a, an understanding, a greater understanding this morning through your word and through the power of your love. In the mighty name of Jesus, the church says, amen and amen. I'm excited today. Uh, media team got a little bit ahead of me, but that's okay. Today's sermon title is called, Stop Trying, Start Training. This morning, I want to celebrate Christ with a living church. This morning, I want to celebrate Christ with a living church. Okay? Now, I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to put your hand on their shoulder and tell them, in Jesus' name, live, come alive, I command it. In Jesus' name. Make sure your neighbor's awake and alive this morning. You can check their pulse, check, make sure they're breathing. Because again, I, I want to celebrate Jesus with the living church. I don't celebrate Jesus with dead people because Jesus is life. Jesus gives life. And wherever Jesus is present, life is formed. And I want to encourage you this morning to ensure that you stay alive. Everyone say, stay alive. Staying alive, staying alive. Oh, that's, that's, that's not a holy song. I can hear the Bee Gees music in my mind. But it's important that we stay alive, church. And I'm going to explain that um, in just a minute. Um, but I want to I minister this morning to the heart of the church. I want to ensure that we understand, you watching on the camera, watching through Zoom on the Spanish translation, I want to I make sure that you understand what the goal is today. The goal is not to preach a sermon. I didn't come to preach a sermon. The goal is not for you to write in your notebook so many different phrases and words and then never read it again. The goal is not for you to sit there 
trying to understand, falling asleep, and then saying, wow, what a, what, what a great service. No. The goal of today is to be faithful to God. And I, and I want to make sure that I do that. But I, I want to make sure you do that as well. Amen? Can we be faithful this morning to the Lord? Can we be, can we be part of the 57%? Yeah. You want to know about the 57%? Remember 47, 43% of people that are in a setting in which it's church-related or they're listening to are physically there but mentally absent. So the 57% are those that are physically there and mentally present. So will you be part of the 57 this morning? Amen. I want to start this morning by telling you this. We're, we, uh, we're a very um, athletic church. We may not look athletic, okay? Um, not, not all of us look like we're fit, you know. But we all enjoy sports for the most part. We like playing sports, talking about sports, making fun of other people who try to play sports, and all these different things about sports. But did you know that when sports were created, when, when, when the creators of a specific sport, when they decided, hey, I want to do something about this, this activity, their intentions were not for fame or money. They merely wanted to create a fun environment so people could enjoy being together doing the activity. The, the, uh, the inventor of the game of basketball, I f- forget his name because I couldn't pronounce it, so I didn't really want to remember it, but the details aren't so important. When he created the game of basketball, he, as, a, as a young boy, he would play a game where they were trying to throw rocks into a basket that was hung somewhere, and at the end of a specific amount of time, the team with the most rocks in their basket won. And it was a simple little game for children. But as time progressed, he realized, man, it was so annoying to, after the game, have to climb a ladder, untie the box, dump out the rocks, and count them, and then we would see who won. Who won. So as time progressed, he began to innovate his own creation. You know, they would use baskets with, now they had holes at the bottom, and they wouldn't use rocks, they would use a soccer ball. Fun fact. And eventually, the game progressed into what we know today. But sports was created by ordinary people trying to provide a fun activity for ordinary people to enjoy. It was not designed for anything else. But now, everyone say now, now we we pay people, we pay professionals to play sports for us so we can watch them and then criticize them on how bad they play and how much better we are. Because, we, you know, we think we're professionals. You know, you see Mikel over here like, I could take on Messi, he's, he's nothing to me. Because we think that we would be better in that type of setting. But something so innocent, so, so, so fun became now something only for professionals or experts. Why do I mention this? Did you know that church was created by ordinary people for ordinary people? 
But now, we pay professionals and experts to do church for us. So we can sit in our chairs and judge them and criticize them for not being as holy as us or as we. What do you mean we pay professionals to do church? Yeah, we think that by giving money, we are forcing the pastor or the church to do what we like. And we don't like churches that don't do what we like, especially if we decide to sow. And we've come to this wrong understanding that church has to be me and my likes. And I want to make sure that we understand something so important today. This morning, I don't have a message for you. I don't have a sermon for you. I don't have this elaborate teaching for you. This morning, I have nothing but an instruction from the Lord. And the Lord says, stop trying. Start training. And I want you to touch three people this morning and tell them to stop trying, start training. Stop trying, start training. Touch three people and, and tell them to stop trying and start training. Touch them, touch them and tell them. Touch them and tell them. Don't be shy. Tell them, stop trying, start training. And I want you to take your Bible with me and go to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to dive into the New Testament today. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And when you find it, go ahead and say training time. Today we're going to train church. It's training day, so I hope you brought your workout clothes. hope you're ready to, to move, jump, flip, lift, run, cry maybe. 1 Timothy chapter 4. When you're there, say training time. All right. Some people are ready. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And again, if, if, if you just signed on, on online, um, we do have a Spanish translation of the message. If you prefer, they've, they've been putting the, uh, the uh, banner across. They're, they're going to be doing that now, just so, just so that you know if you want to watch this message in Spanish. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. We're going to read all the verses. We're, we're going to go through it to understand what it is that we're going to be instructing this morning. And I want to end it in a very important place today. It says this, Paul speaking to Timothy, his young disciple. It says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their conscience are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. Verse 6. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, 
one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teachings you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Isn't it funny how only someone like Paul could say something like verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should believe it. Only Paul could say something like that. But Paul here is instructing his young disciple Timothy. Timothy is like, I, I, I myself identify a lot with young Timothy. He was a very young, young, uh, young, young boy. And he was put in charge, was put to lead a church. But he had one of the greatest mentors you could ask for. But also one of the most dangerous. Because Paul was a crazy guy. Paul wasn't your typical, let me encourage you to do the right thing, Timothy. No, Paul, Paul would be honest. Timothy, if you do this, you will die and go to hell. And your soul will be eternally damned. So what do you want to do, Timothy? But see, Timothy wasn't afraid. Timothy was young, yes, inexperienced, a lot. But it didn't matter. Because he knew who called him. He knew God had chosen him. And Paul says a lot of key things here in these 10 verses. And I'm going to be breaking them down with you as we go through this. But I want to make sure that we understand a lot of important things this morning. Church, we have allowed as a society, as people, we have allowed church to become a place in which Jesus is okay with religious rituals and worldly actions. I'm going to let that sit with you. It's so amazing to me how many people on social media last week posted Happy Resurrection Sunday. But the weekend, they spent it on the beach getting lit. Or they spend their whole lives willfully in sin, but on Sunday morning, on Resurrection Sunday, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me and giving me a new life. And I ask him, your statement is 50% correct. He did die for you. But you don't look like you're living a new life. And we have allowed re religious rituals to be a part of our church culture. Come Christmas time, we have to have 17 services. Because we have to have the kids program, we have to have the youth program, we have to do the manger scene, we have to wear red. We, and 
society expects things from the church. <laughs> Come Easter, we have to have the Easter bunny. We have to. We have to go get eggs for the children. Why? We just have to. The kids need to know about Jesus. Then what do the eggs have to do with Jesus? Nothing, but they have to know. Come Halloween, we have to do a hallelujah night. We have to save the sinners from the, from the grasps of hell on Halloween, but we do the same thing. Come in a costume in a biblical character. And we allow religious rituals to be part of our church culture. But the, 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 the honesty behind it is those things bring people. Those things bring people. It's true. If we were to lower our standard, water down our gospel from Scripture, we, we would have to have three, four, five different services. Because people want motivational speakers. And it's so easy to be a motivational speaker. Anyone could do it. All you need is two brain cells and a voice, and you could be a motivational speaker. But I never find in Scripture where Jesus says, go out and motivate the world. He says, go out and make disciples. Disciples are people who willingly want to follow despite the struggle. Motivation is circumstantial. When we have the things we want, we're motivated. Right? The moment we lose that, we're discouraged. And we want a Jesus that is okay with people who cuss. We want a Jesus that is okay with people who sleep around. We, we, we want a Jesus that is okay with, with us lying and knowingly lie. We want a Jesus that is okay with people who steal. We want a Jesus that is okay with people who enjoy sinning. We want a Jesus that is okay with apathy. But newsflash, Jesus is not okay with sin. And he will never be okay with sin. If any preacher, if any pastor, if any youth leader, youth minister, children's pastor, worship leader, if anyone ever tells you Jesus is okay with your sin, Run. Run. Because in verse 1, Paul tells Timothy about the false teachers who receive doctrines from demons. If you didn't know, demons can also preach. If you didn't know, demons also attend church regularly. Ooh, it's going to be one of those mornings, huh? <laughs> if you didn't know, the devil is invested in the church. Because the, the devil understands the power in the ecclesia. The power that's held within the ecclesia is the power that radically transformed the Middle East in A.D., 
when you know BC before Christ Christ came Christ died Christ ascended the era of AD started in AD the church took hold of the Middle East and they transformed the world and the, the devil could do nothing to stop them the the original 11 were all crucified killed stabbed to death stoned to death but the message still spread some had their heads cut off but the message was still spread john was boiled alive didn't die they didn't know what to do with the guy so they shipped him off to patmos to hopefully he would die but the guy lived even longer the message still got out because in the ecclesia in the in the church of god after pentecost nothing was ever the same nothing could ever be the same can you imagine just 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 picture this for me okay you're there you just witnessed jesus dying on the cross brutally being tortured and then dying he passes the earth literally shook and then three days later you're walking and the guy that was hung on the cross is right before you saying hey i'm back just picture that for me okay and then he does something so insane to me he looks at a bunch of fishermen and manual labor workers okay he looks at tax collectors sinners and says i'm gonna give you that very same essence that made me rise again i'm gonna put it inside you the same thing that made me come back to life i'm gonna put it inside you and while they were gathered in the upper room acts chapter 2 the ecclesia was birthed and they would move in power and authority and 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 see we know this we know this and yet we still want a jesus that is okay with us willingly slipping up i made a mistake today oh it's okay god will forgive me eh, it's all right like we deserve the forgiveness we deserve the death we deserve the crucifixion that's what we deserved but we were given grace forgiveness is such a powerful thing that the enemy has made it into such a casual thing ah eh, forgive and forget yeah 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 just forgive and forgive but true forgiveness takes confrontation takes vulnerability transparency it's not just something where i can say okay i forgive you bye mm, that's not how forgiveness works there's a process and I, and I want to ask you church how is it that we claim God is in us while we come and we profess God is within me and I love God and God loves me but what comes out of us is darkness 
and sin. How can we claim to be full of God, but what comes out is full of darkness? See, the mouth can easily profess things. We, can, we tend to say a lot of stuff, but just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. Amen? Woo! Hallelujah! Like I always say, when it's quiet, I know. I know it's the perfect environment. And I love it. Don't worry, your, your, your mean mugs don't intimidate me. Okay, because I'm having the time of my life up here. I love being up here. Because it, I know that the Lord can make a difference. And I'm excited this morning. Jesus hates sin. And we know that. But ask yourself, how can we be okay with sin? How can we be okay with something God hates? Pastor Kevin, what does this have to do with the message? I'll get there. I want to I, I make you understand something about sin and trying and training. How can we be okay with something God hates? I'm pretty sure, and just, just, to, just so that you guys understand what it is that I'm talking about. If a... If a, if a known convicted pedophile was to walk into this building and would run into the children's class, how many of you would be okay with that? That's fine. It's okay. How many of you? Raise, raise your hand so I can smack you. The moment that we would have seen it, 10 different people would lunge to ensure no harm came to any, any, any child, right? Because we're not okay with that, right? Okay. Then how come we're okay with us? Oh, you know what? I sh- I'm supposed to tie this month, but I'm going to skip it. Hopefully nobody notices. You know what? On my tax forms, I have seven kids and no income. Submit. Oh, wow, look at my refund. Somebody cuts you off. And then you park here in church. Good morning, everybody. We're okay with that. But we're not okay with other people and their sin. With our sin, oh, it's fine. God's working on me. Uh, you know, we often talk about the double standards, right? Mikael, wake up. We, we, we often talk about the, the uh, double standards, and we apply it to men and, and women, but we don't apply it to sin, and we should. There is no double standard. You either sin or you don't, but you can't be okay with it. You're either okay with sin or you're not. And just, just, just to give you a little preview on this, this summer's mentorship it's called living in a gray world we're going to talk more deeply about those things but i want to i want to emphasize on this do not fall prey to the belief that all you have to do in life is try and that's it 
Do not fall prey to the lie that tells you, try to be godly, try to be spiritual, and that is enough. Because I don't know if you know, but the Bible doesn't tell us to try. You think Jesus tried to go to the cross? What did he do? He did it. The Bible does not tell us to try. Because it's time for you to understand a very simple truth. We as a church need to understand a very simple truth. We have to stop trying and start training. The big difference between successful spiritual people and not successful spiritual people is that successful people don't try to be successful. You don't try to be successful. Successful people don't try to succeed. They train to succeed. Trying to, I'm trying to, may make it happen for you once. Let me, let me try, and you may actually do it one time. But when you need to do it again, and you try to do it, you don't know how you did it. But when you train. See, the important thing that we have to understand is that training keeps you ready. Trying is inconsistent. You can try and you may do it. You can try to read your Bible and pray and worship every day and you'll do it for three weeks. But you're going to stop because life will get in the way of your trying. But see, training keeps you ready. I don't have to try to play the drums. If somebody calls me tomorrow saying, Kevin, we need an experienced drummer that knows how to play, I don't have to tell them, well, you know what, let me try. Let me see if I can do it. I tell them, okay, what do you need? Why? How come I can tell them I can do it? I've been training for 11 years. For 11 years of my life, I have made that instrument a part of me. I don't have to try to play the instrument. I'm already trained. And often, we try to be spiritual. We try to be godly. We try to do all of these things, and we try, and we try, and we try, and we fail, and we fail, and we fail. And then we blame God because he's, un, he's not faithful to our trying because he, he, he never tells us to try. He doesn't say, Brian, try to be a good husband. <laughs> if Brian tries, he'll screw it up. The same way if I try to be a good husband, eventually I'll get tired of trying. It is human nature. But see, a good husband trains to be a good husband. How? 
we're going to get into that. You see, church, the habits that we decide to create enable or disable our ability to succeed. The habits we decide to create will enable us or disable us to be successful. I choose the habits I create. Nobody forces me to sit in front of my TV and watch for 10 hours. It's a choice. In the same way, nobody forces me to sit in front of my computer and, and seek the Lord. Nobody forces me. It's a choice. But see, one requires trying. The other requires training. You have to train yourself to not want to be in front of the TV for 10 hours on a Saturday. You have to train yourself to not want to sit in bed scrolling through social media for four hours. You have to train yourself to actually do things that produce benefits in your life. You think we want to wake up early to go to work? You think we want to do that? You think my wife wants to wake up twice at night every single day until who knows when because her daughter is hungry? But she's trained. See, we're trained. In certain aspects of our life, we're trained to go to work because we have to, we got bills to pay. But in other areas, ah, let me try. I didn't do it. Oh, man. But see, if we took the same attitude of trying in church to our training at work, ooh, some of y'all would be fired by now. You think Vicente and Lisette would be in the process of breaking ground in their incoming land and building just because they tried to start a business? Let me just try it out. Let me just try. Anybody want to rent a bus? No, it's because nobody wants to rent a bus. Oh, I'm just trying. Come on, God. <laughs> and we're so okay with just trying that we're now making our, our, our adolescence not useful to sound nice. I see it in the kids all the time. Why do I have to learn math? I don't want to do math. I don't, want to, I, I don't want to learn to read and you're 14 years old. Because they don't, they're not trained to want to develop and grow and learn and be successful. They're trained to try. Try your best. It's okay. You're 18 and still can't read. It's okay. Keep trying. You, you've been in church for seven years and you've never tithed. Keep trying, keep trying. <laughs> the habits that we decide to create, everyone say decide. They will enable us or disable us in our ability to succeed. Now, I don't want you to focus on the physical attributes of trying, right? I don't want to focus today on the physicalness of trying and training. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you something that you should already know 
and already be doing, try to read your Bible, try to pray, try to sing along. All of those things are nothing but behavioral characteristics. And if there's one thing anyone should know if you are an aspiring preacher or minister is you don't target the behavior of people because human nature doesn't like being told what to do. Mariso, read your Bible. Read it. You have to pray. You have to read your Bible. And he'll look at you and say, make me. Why? It's a human reaction. It's human nature to rebel against being told what to do. Behavioral acts require something greater to hinge on them or change them. That's why so many people say, read and pray and do all these things. And the people look at them like, okay, well, I'll try it. They try it, it doesn't work, and then they stop. Why? Because as, and all of us are guilty of this, myself included, we're so used to targeting your behavior. And we miss the point of ministry. Ministry is not about making you behave like a Christian. Anyone can behave like a Christian. Remember what I told you, even the demons come to church regularly? Anyone can behave like a Christian. It's not that hard. But it's not about behaving like, like a Christian. It's about reflecting the image of God. One is behavioral, the, the, the other one is a condition of the heart. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be here and tell you to try to do all of these things and give you the benefits that it will produce in your life because as a believer or if you're in the process of becoming a believer, you should by now understand the fundamentals of learning how to be a believer. And if you need help, that's great. There's no shame in needing help. Seek out a mentor to to, to help you understand the importance of Scripture, the importance of communication, the importance of fellowship, all of those are essential. But that's the beginning. All those are shaped to help you the, start the process. But see, behavior is subject to our mental habits. And our mental habits stem from the condition of our heart. What we do is because we've made it in our mind something we want to do because our heart is telling us we want to do it. I don't go up to my wife, look her in the eye, tell her I love her, and then go find another woman to sleep with. Because my heart tells me I don't want to do that. Because all those years ago, I committed my heart to loving one woman. That one woman being my wife. Now the enemy will attempt and do everything in his power to break, not your behavior. He doesn't care about your behavior. He cares about the condition of your heart. Because if he can change or alter your heart, he can change your behavior like nothing. But it starts in the heart. So I can tell you, read your Bible, and you can look at me and say, okay. But if the Lord touches your heart, no one has to tell you to read the Bible. You're like, I want to know more about this Jesus. Why? 
heart changed. The heart changes your thoughts, your thoughts change your behavior. Anybody still here? Okay. I'm not here to give you psychology. This isn't a psychological point. It's a reality check. Your behavior is useless. It's all about the condition of your heart. Because one day we can behave great. You know how like toddlers, we're just learning that with Oliver. Man, there are days where he is a little angel. Eats everything that we give him, gives us lots of hugs, give us kisses, does his sign language. Now he says, more please. And he does all of these beautiful things. But then there are other days where he gets the food and says, I don't want any of this. Ah! And we're just like, Lord, who, what, what is going on? Who is, who's, whose kid is this? <laughs> Wendy, your, your kid is freaking me out. But all that happened, he's still my son. It's just his behavior changed. He, he, maybe he slept wrong. Maybe he's just grouchy. Maybe he's teething. Something altered his behavior, making him be what he is. But it doesn't mean he's a bad boy or a bad son. But see, it's the fragility of our behavior that we're so oblivious to. We, we focus so much on it. Come, come, come here, Sarah. Because I, I mean, Sarah's just a great person to know. If you don't know Sarah, get to know her. Come here, Sarah. We're so focused on our behavior, and this is what we do. Okay, Sarah, to be a good Christian, you got to, tattoos, uh-uh, got to take them off. Your long hair, mm, it's too long. Mm, your glasses, they look a little bit, l- no, it doesn't work. It's too much. And we start to change everything about her, and you better shake with the right hand, you better stand up straight, and we're so focused on making her into a robot that when she comes to, to preach the gospel, it's not real. Because her behavior changed, but the condition of her heart is full of resentment, full of insecurities. The church was supposed to show her Jesus, but religion has made her into a casket beautiful on the outside but dead on the inside because caskets hold dead people they're real nice boxes on the outside but on the inside what's inside is dead and we've been so focused on the behavior of what a christian should do and be and act and behave and not do that we're like a factory that produces zombies Robots that can come to church, sit in the front row, raise their hands, say amen, even go super spiritual mode and raise them up to their elbows. Sometimes fork over a couple dollars. And their behavior, wow, what a great looking Christian. But on the inside, her heart is completely shredded. And in time, she says, you know what? The world accepted me better than the church. Thank you, sir. And it's the reality of the focus of the church. Oh, honey, can, can you come here real quick? Speaking of, I didn't put Oliver's offering in his backpack this morning. Sorry. 
And we're so focused on the behavior of people. That's why the adolescents don't want anything to do with church. Because it's a joke. Youth pastors come up here trying to do all of the worldly things to relate to them instead of showing them why it's good to not relate to the world. They come up here and they put all these flashy songs and they dress a certain way to make them think that they understand them and all they do is push them further and further into the world. Because they see, oh, well, the church and the world, oh, it looks the same, cool, I'm doing the right thing. When in reality, it should look super different. A spirit-filled adolescent should not be anything similar, spiritually speaking, to a young man or woman that has yet to experience Jesus. That is why they can take the message of the gospel and radically transform. Pastor Kevin, we still don't see what the title has to do with the message. I'm getting there. And we've come so focused on trying to be spiritual. We try and we try and we fail. And we fail. Let me, let me show you why trying doesn't work, but training does. If you want to put that slide up there with the attributes um, here on the main screen. I won't move. This is the difference between the attributes of trying and the attributes of training. Now, it is a, a little small. I'm sorry. But I'm going to read, read them out to you, or you can always go back and um, watch the video and see it that way. The attributes of trying... They are efforts based on emotion. You feel good, you're going to try. You don't feel good, not today. Today's not my day. The attribute of training is your efforts are based on principle. This is something I have to do. Whether I want to or not, I need to do it. So I'm going to do it attribute of trying it's conditional on how you feel attribute of training you're planted on what god called you to do god called me into this field and even though i don't feel like doing it it's not about me it's a principle the third attribute of trying is you focus on what you cannot I can't do this. It's so hard. It's too big. It's too long. It's too, f it's too close. It's too small. It's too confusing. Attribute on training is you're focused on what God can do. When you train, you're focused on what He's able to do, not what you can't do. When you try, you have inconsistent habits. Today, you do it, tomorrow you do it, the next day you don't, the next day you don't, the next day you don't, the next day you kind of do it, the next day you so-so do it, the next day you do it great. Up and down, up and down. But when you train, consistency becomes a lifestyle. You don't flutter. You don't slip and slide. You stay the course because, again, it's based on principle. When you try, when the progress of others discourages you. 
They're so far ahead of me. I'm never going to be able to get there. I give up. When you train the progress of others, they did it. They paid off their house. I'm next. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there. I'm going to reach the goal. If he can do it, we have the same God. That means I can too. Whew. That was for me, by the way, church. That was, that, was, that was for me. When you try, it's all about you and your self-centered goal. I want to look a certain way. I want to feel a certain way. I want to have certain things. But when you train, it's a God-centered journey. Because church, faith, faith is not a destination. You, you, you don't reach faith. No, faith is a journey. Faith is not a, a, a island where you reach and all your problems go away. No, faith is the journey. And in that journey, we get to experience God. And in that experience, we get to abide with God. And it doesn't end here. Eternity is where the party really begins. And this is my favorite attribute. When you try, it produces stress. But when you train, it produces peace. Why do you think, oh man, I love God. Thank you, Lord. He's so cool. Why do you think Jesus was not stressed on the boat when the storm showed up? Because he was, had been trained that no matter what could happen to him, if God did not say so, it would not be so. So God never told Jesus, you're going to die on a boat. <laughs> he said, you're going to die on a cross. So until you see the cross, nothing can touch you, nothing can harm you. So the storm came and he said, that ain't no cross, I'm going to take a nap. It's not a cross. It's not a cross. It's not, it's not my time. And while the disciples were going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Wow, and they were freaking out, trying to understand why this guy is so peaceful. And the storm is there and they're freaking out. Because they were trying. They were trying to be like Jesus. They hadn't understood that Jesus was training. How would he train when he would go and sleep and, and when he would go sleepless for so many days because he was in the presence of the Father, he was training. When he would go and say, come with me, and he would go and pray, they would fall asleep because they were trying to be like Jesus, but Jesus was training. When Peter took the step out on the boat, when he saw Jesus because they had left Jesus behind, and he walks on water like, what? <laughs> I'm trained for this. And Peter sees him and says, Lord, if it's you, call me. And Jesus says, okay, come. You want to train? Let's do it. And Peter started doing it when he began training. But then he noticed a couple of things. He started remembering, oh, this looks a little dangerous. I'm not supposed to be able to do this. I'm not a fish. I don't have gills. And when he remembered what he could not do, he sank. He doubted, and he sank. How many of us live in the attributes of trying? How many of us live in the attributes of training? 
Now this rocked my boat. I've, I've, I've had this, like, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the Lord has been speaking to me in phrases, and I write them down, and I just wait for instructions. But I've been remembering this phrase. Stop trying, Kevin. You're a lousy trier. Because when you try, you give up after one or two attempts. Because my nature is to be impatient. I want results now. I go to the gym once, I want to have a six-pack. I eat a salad once, I want to lose 100 pounds. If only, right? But there is a process. Now let me... Oh, man. You guys having fun this morning? Because I am. Oh, man. Thank you, Lord. Now, again, this is not a sermon. This is not a, 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 a preaching. It's an instruction. Stop trying. Start training. We often focus so much on the things we need to do to be spiritual, and we forget what spirituality is all about. Spirituality is all about relationship with the Father. It has nothing about, it's nothing to do with the things you need to do. I need to put on some, some nice music that just mm, warms me up. I need to stand quietly for 15 seconds exactly and the Holy Spirit will talk to me. I need to, and I need to, and we want to follow this guide, the five-step process to encountering the Holy Spirit. While the Holy Spirit's over here going crazy. And you're over here trying to be, okay, I'm following my steps, following my steps. And then the Holy Spirit says, hey, by the way, I'm over here. And you see the craziness of the Holy Spirit and you're just like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. That, Lord, this doesn't look like what... We forget that spirituality is all about relationship with the Father. I don't need to do anything to be my Father's son. Mario Gamas is my father. Rosa Fabiola Gamas is my mother. I don't need to pay a membership fee every month. I don't need to convince them that I'm their angel baby. I don't need to convince my wife that I'm her husband. None of you need convincing that Oliver is my son. And we often think we need to do things to be spiritual, to be sons and daughters of God. What needed to be done was already taken care of. What, needed, what you needed to do was get your act together. But because you didn't, somebody did it for you. So now what you need to do is get into relationship with the Father because fathers change perspectives. Whew, that's good. Wow. Fathers change perspectives. I'm going to write that down for another time. I like that. What good does it do to you to read your Bible every day if your thoughts are impure and not godly? Reading God's word does not mean you know what he is saying. 
You can take the attributes off. Thank you. You can read your Bible every day and forget what it says every day. But I read my Bible today. Yeah, but what did he say? I don't know, but I read it. That's the modern believer. We don't know what the Bible says. Oh, but I've read it. Really? Wow. What good does it do to you to pray every day for 30 minutes in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, if you treat others with hatred and hostility? Because prayer is designed to bring you into an atmosphere of peace and clarity. When you pray, you don't come out thinking, I'm going to kill somebody. No, you come out understanding, okay, Lord, thank you. I overreacted. You are a good father. You are faithful when you do provide. I, I panicked for no reason, Lord. Thank you for reminding me. Thank you for not pushing me away, but bringing me closer. Prayer produces clarity, peace. What good does it, you, does it do you to attend church every single service if God does not abide within you? And like I've mentioned already, even the devil goes to church regularly. <gasps> what do you mean? You know what I mean. We often say, come Holy Spirit, but we bring demons. Okay, I'm stopping there. We say, come Father, but after, wait Father, wait, just let me, let me bring in my uh, problems with me. Pastor Kevin, let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me clarify something real quick. Sure, thank you for wanting to clarify are you telling us that we don't have to read our Bibles, pray, or come to church? That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> Reading scripture, praying, and congregating are essential habits of a believer, yes. But none of those habits produce any significance or change in the heart of a person if it is not accompanied by a real relationship with God. We like to complicate the gospel. But John 3.16 explains it so well. Why, God, did you choose me? Well, for God so loved the world. You were in the world. You are of the world. You were of the world. You were created for the world. He loved you, and he said, I don't want you to perish, so I'm going to do something about your gigantic debt that you can no longer pay. So I'm going to ensure that you have an opportunity because I'm not a tyrant. I'm a good, loving father that will give you the opportunity to know me, to love me. And together, we can change the world. But why did you choose me? Let me tell you again. For God's, and we have to continue to remind ourselves. The gospel is not complicated. We owed too much that we could not pay. So he took care of it. To provide an opportunity. Everyone say opportunity. The opportunity of relationship. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thing? He pays our debt and he doesn't ask us for anything in return. But he provides the opportunity to experience the greatest life 
you could possibly have. Wow. Talk about crazy. <laughs> you know, some some sometimes salesmen will come to my house and they'll tell me these amazing offers and I'm like, man, this is too good to be true. Sure enough, it's too good to be true. You know, we're going to do all these things for you and all you have to pay is $1,000 for the next 16, 17 years and then after that it's going to double for, for to 2000 a month and it's going to change your life forever. How so? Just, just trust us. Seems sketchy. But God says, look, you owed something you couldn't pay. I took care of it. If you want to know why, join me. Reading, praying, congregating, they're essential habits of a believer, yes. But it produces no significance and no change in the heart of a person if not for real relationship with the Father. Want to know why your life is the way it is? Because of the relationship you have with the Father. If, if you're experiencing insane amounts of, of blessing and, and stability and progress, great. Keep going. If you're experiencing an insane amount of instability, of pain, of confusion, of suffering, great. Now you know the problem. You don't have a relationship with the Father. For my relationship to function with my wife properly, I can't just live with her. I can't just repeat phrases to her that she likes. I can't just talk about myself and expect her to be okay with it. And I can't just say the phrase, I love you. Do not be deceived, church, into thinking that you can go through the motions of a relationship and it actually means something. If, 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 if my marriage is to work and it's to withstand the test of time it needs to be real the moment that we start living going through the motions well this is what i'm supposed to do this is what she's supposed to do and we're supposed to feel this it, the moment that we go into the let's go through the motions the marriage is in a massive risk because it becomes behavioral it no longer is about the heart the condition of your heart i'm not saying my marriage is perfect no we have our moments we have our disagreements we still have disagreements we still have moments we have so much to learn and develop but thankfully we have a father who is guiding our steps working in our problems, working in our insecurities, working in our frustrations with one another, with ourselves, working in every part of it. So don't think that you can just go through the motions of being a Christian and expect for Christ to be magnified in your life. You see, Christians are not Christianity. Jesus is Christianity. We are not Christianity. We, within us, there's nothing good in us. 
because of our sinful nature. But the Lord reversed in his death and resurrection our nature and gave us a new life, a new way of function. Jesus is Christianity, not us. Christianity isn't even about you and I. (laughs) So don't get that twisted. Still with me? Okay, good, because I got a lot more. Paul tells Timothy in verse 1, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, read it in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. The first thing that Paul instructs or tells Timothy is, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly. That specific phrase tells me this, that clarity is an attribute of someone in training. When you're training, no one can remove the reason why you're doing what you're doing. You have a clear understanding. You have clarity in your perspective, clarity in your decisions, clarity in your direction, clarity in your focus. Because the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, period. The Holy Spirit doesn't beat around the bush to tell us. He tells us straight to the dot. He's clear. The second phrase in that instruction that Paul tells Timothy, it says uh, that um, they will turn away from true faith. Giving up is an attribute of someone who is trying. If you are able to quit, it's because you've been trying. Then he goes on to say what's going to happen. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings from demons. Doing what is convenient to you is an attribute of someone who is trying. If it makes you the center, it's because you're trying. Today you'll do it. Tomorrow, who knows? Because you're trying. Demons will always use your own pleasure to lure you into their deceptions. They know what you like and they know where you're weak. They know. You can try to hide it from all of us, but they know what you struggle with and where you're weak in. So they will do everything they can to say, hey, I got it. I got it. Melissa, I got it. Look. Ooh, handsome man. Ooh, he has a six-pack. He's so good-looking. Come on, Melissa. Come here. Look, he's so handsome. All he wants to do is sleep with you. Come on, just do it, and you have a husband. Hello? And if she's been trying to stay pure for the Lord, she'll fall. But if she's been training, Lord, I'm yours. I'm in love with you, Lord. A man is going to have to convince me that he can love me the way you do to get my attention. And if she's training, there ain't no six-pack that will get her attention. You training or you trying? Then Paul, in his wisdom, tells 
and gives Timothy the greatest advice that I have ever heard in my life. Verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Ooh, wow. So you're telling me that if I, that I can train my whole life and reap the benefits, but that's not even the end of it? That I can still experience more in the life to come? Man, I want that. But notice what Paul doesn't tell Timothy. He doesn't look at Timothy and say, Timothy... Young boy, try to be godly. Try to be spiritual. Try. You can do it. Try it. Try your best. He says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Godliness should be the aim of all who desire to have an intimate relationship with God. Godliness promises benefits in this life, your, early, your earthly life, and in the life to come, eternity with the Father. Godliness promises good things on earth. Godliness. What is godliness? It's the essence of God. Who is God? God is love. What is love? <laughs> Baby, don't. No. What is love? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't rush. You can't rush someone to love because its characteristic is patience. Love takes time. From the, from the year 2012 to the year 2016, it took me four years to convince Wendy to love me. Four grueling years of having to swallow my, my pride and continue to pursue her. Four years. So that now I can reap the benefits of my waiting, of my patience. Patience is an attribute of training. There is no better insurance policy, especially since this insurance policy is at no cost to you. When you have a relationship with the Father, Everything takes care of itself. Vicente read this, the scripture today in Matthew 6.33, but first seek the kingdom and His righteousness. Seek His habits and seek Him. In other words, train to be godly and everything else will fall into place. When you train, you are focused on the long-term results 
You don't get distracted by the day-to-day activities. When you say, Lord, I want to break generational curses in my life so that my children don't get affected by them, that's not going to take one prayer. That's not going to take two prayers. It's not going to take one month, and it's not going to take two months. It's going to take a training process that you have to be so focused because when it happens, you will never be able to be the same again. So when you train, understand that your training is to leave you so unrecognizable that everything is new coming from you and passing on to yours. But when you just simply try what you're placing on your future kids or your kids is the burden of your inconsistency. It's the the burden of your apathy. It's the burden of your sin. Please, and I say this to myself, do not give your children your efforts as an inheritance. And I say that to me. When you train, you're focused. It may take years for you to see the fruit of your labor, but when it happens, you will never be the same. And there are some of us in this room that can attest to that, both physically and spiritually. When I first met Martha, she was as skinny as a stick. All those years ago. When, when we were still in the little, I call it in the, I, I call it the stove because it was this little rectangle, right? But man, the fire of God hit. Martha was this little itty-bitty person. And then life happened. Martha was no longer an itty-bitty person. I'm not, not, not to make fun of her, but then some, something happened in her. She was no longer happy. So what did she do? Did you try to lose weight, Martha? If she had tried to lose weight, she would have, she'd still be the same weight today as, as she was. No, she trained. She had a goal, and she trained. And she's reaping the benefits of that training. You, and I see these transformations of these people that are like three, four, five hundred pounds, and they record their journey. And in that recording of their journey, they always say similar phrases. The battery might have died or something. We're good here. It's okay. And in, in the process of, those, of, of their training and their videos, they always say phrases like, there were days I didn't want to do it. But I was focused. Ooh, someone's not happy. It's okay. We're we're gonna figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, it's back. It's okay. Now, what else? I'm over here, church. I'm I'm still here. It's okay. Stuff happens. But what I want you to understand is this: that your life. In training is never the same again. Notice I'm not saying your life after you've trained. 
I'm not using the past tense of the word. No, training is an everyday decision. I'm going to train today so that I can continue tomorrow. I'm going to do it today so that I can do it better tomorrow. I'm going to focus today. I'm going to work hard today. I'm going to do whatever I need to today because tomorrow I got to do it again, but I got to grow. I got to do it faster. I got to do it better. I got to do it more accurately. I got to do it quicker. I got to do it deeper. I got to do it better. Every day you progress in your training. Now, what I need you to understand and understand well is you can try the rest of your life and you will never get anywhere. You can try and try and try again. And it's going to be a cycle of the same thing. Let me try again. Let me try one more time. Let me try one more time. It's like, it's like, almost, it's like the devil sets up a carnival game Throw the ring in the hole and you get $1,000 or you get whatever stuffed animal and you're there trying and you're trying and you run out of rings. Oh, I'm out of rings. 20 bucks and I'll give you 20 more. And you do it and you're trying and you're trying and you never notice that the ring has a transparent top. No matter how many times, you're never going to do it. You're never going to reach what you're trying to do. But when you train, training Hmm. It gives you focus. Something doesn't look right. Let me look at it from a different perspective. I see it. When you're training, nothing can remove you from your goal. You see things from different perspectives. You notice what changes. Now, I know this sounds a little wonky, church. I understand but let's stay focused because we're in training this morning. And like all training sessions, hiccups happen. We need to learn to simply just continue without getting distracted. Oh, but the mic doesn't work. I can't hear. It's okay. There's people that are responsible to take care of those things and they'll do it. All right. Okay. <sighs> this, is the, this is how you know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Is anyone receiving this morning? Great. Perfect. Okay. Well, if they can hear me in the stream, you can hear me live. We're fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and continue because I, I still got about another hour and a half to go. All right. Now, when you're in training, you have to understand that training is all about focus. Life is all about distractions. 
because you're focused on doing something and the enemy doesn't like a focused church because a focused church casts out demons. A focused church sets captives free. A focused church removes people out of bondage. A focused church is a church empowered by the Holy Spirit, thus being able to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when a church is focused, it's a dangerous force against the darkness. So the enemy will do everything in its power to remove the focus so that you remove the power. But we have come to understand that even though distractions will come and it will happen every single waking moment of your life, you have to decide to stay focused. I've always wanted to, to do this, is grab a baby, put them up here, and just let them play the entire sermon. Let them do whatever they do. Cry, and just do my thing. Why? Because it takes True concentration to endure a major distraction in the middle of something so beneficial. But I won't do it today. Because we have enough distractions already. And it's a part of the process. When you're in training, your focus is everything. Lord, you are putting me through the valley of shadow and death. You don't think there's distractions in that valley? Ooh-wee, everything around you is a reminder that you're not going to make it. But see, we're not trying to make it. We're not trying to reach the other side. We're training. We're in training. And in my training, I'm going to reach. I'm going to get there. I'm going to do it, not for me, but because my God has a mission and purpose for me to do this so others can reap the benefit of the glory of the gospel. You see, it's all about understanding our focus. And you see, you know, Danny can be here doing all these things and we can shut all the lights off and people are like, why? Because their focus is distracted. So understand, church, that what I'm saying to you today is stop trying to be this spiritual person. Stop trying to be this godly person, your trying is not going to get you to the goal. You've tried up until today, and look where you are today. And some things you've tried, and other things you've trained, but look at the, at the areas in your life in which you've tried to do things. Is it where you want it? I can guarantee you it's not. But look at the areas where, where you've trained, not knowing you were training. It's exactly where you want to be. Why? Because there's a big difference between trying and training. And I want you to understand clearly. I don't want you to try to read your Bible. I don't want you to try to pray. I don't want you to try to come to church. No. If you're trying to be spiritual, train spiritually. If you're trying to be godly, stop train godly. If you're trying to not lie anymore, stop trying. Train truthfully. Stop trying and start training. It's a simple shift in your mindset that will affect your behavior because it starts in your heart. I'm not interested in a church that is all about behaving like a church. Behaving like a believer. 
You can fool me behaving like a believer. But you will never fool God. And you'll never fool yourself. Because you'll always know it's fake. It's not real. There's no substance. There's no essence. And like any training, you're going to go through days of soreness. Days where you're going to be walking around like a board. I can't move my legs. I can't do this anymore. It hurts so much. I can barely bend down. But guess what? You got to train that day. When I, when I first started my whole CrossFit journey, man, there were days where I couldn't even bend over. I, I had to, like, force myself to sit on the toilet just because, oh, this hurts so bad. But with time. Because I knew I was training for a reason. I had a goal in mind, a physical goal. I knew I have to do this. And as time progressed, the soreness went from being unbearable to now the process is less and less painful. And when I mean soreness physically, I mean soreness spiritually as well. Because you have to die to yourself. You know the phrase, I must decrease so he must increase. Talks about death to yourself. When you start dying, it hurts. And it leaves you stiff. But when he starts to increase, the soreness begins to, I can move again. I I can do things that I couldn't do before. I used to struggle with this. That's not even a thought anymore. I, I used to struggle lifting 50 pounds, but now I warm up with 50 pounds. I used to struggle with addiction. Now I'm praying for people to be set free of addictions. Come on, you, that, that is a good clapping point. Glorify God for that. But today was not a sermon, nor, an, nor a preaching, nor a message. Today's focus in it is an instruction to the church. Stop trying. Stop. You can try to lie to yourself that you're making progress. <laughs> Stop trying. you can start training today.
reflect in these couple of seconds. Lord, have I been trying or have I been training? And I can, I can almost feel a quick response even to yourself like, come on, you know you've been trying. You're, you're not training. And I want to I, I pray with you this morning if you've been struggling with that. Because we all need, we all need the renewal of our mind. If you know that you're struggling in an area, because you've been trying and trying and trying and nothing's changed. With your eyes closed, there's standing, just, just, just slip your hand up. If you have an area in which you're, you know, Lord, I've tried and tried and nothing has changed. I want you to simply just be as vulnerable as you can and just say, Lord, I know. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, and just, just, just stick your hand up. Just stick your hand up and acknowledge that, accept that, embrace it. And, and, and as we do this, as we do this, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, thank you. You see, it, you, you, you see those hands, Lord. And you see the hands that are, are struggling to be lifted because of shame or embarrassment or something that they've been spoken to and the enemy lied to them. And in Jesus' name, Lord, right now, I ask the Holy Spirit to just move, move in this room. Move in this room right now, Holy Spirit. And if, and if you were one that raised your hand, I'm going to ask that you step to, into the front with me. I want to pray with you. Now, I'm not going to make you. I'm going to invite you. If you want to start training this morning, this is the morning to start training. We're not going to try anymore. If you step up to the altar, it's because you're done trying. You're done trying and we're no longer going to try. We're not going to try to be spiritual. We're not going to try to be godly. We're not going to try to behave like good Christians. No, we're going to train because God wants to use us. And I want a church that is useful and dangerous in the hands of God because the, the believers in the church are trained to be weapons of destruction for darkness. But it starts with the choice. And if you're stepping up here to the front, I want you to raise both hands as high as you can. We're, we're going to pray together. We're going to take this moment to pray. I'm going to ask my wife to come help me pray. You can bring it with you. It's okay. It's fine. She's a ministry baby anyways. And as we pray, if you're still struggling at any point throughout this process, the altar is open. I mean, the altar doesn't close. And we're, we're uh, going to end the broadcasting here. I thank you for being here today and I pray that this ministry reaches you this morning in Jesus' name.